0: If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of John, uh, John 14, as we continue our sermon series entitled, I Am uh, Jesus in His Own Words. In Jesus's day and our day, there was a lot of confusion who this Jesus really is. And so we're trying to let his words speak uh, for who he is uh, through the Gospel of John. He utters some incredible words, things like, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. As we look at these words, we realize that they do so much more than just tell us who Jesus is. As we really get to understand these words, it gets us to understand who, who our triune God is and, and what our Bible is all about. If we really see these words rightly, it even tells us who we are and how we should live our lives in response to the reality of who Jesus is. What an incredible reality that is. This week, uh, this weekend actually, I got that call that many of us get. Probably everybody here has gotten at one time in their life or another. And it's the call telling you of a passing of a loved one. It was this Saturday uh, morning, yesterday morning, that I heard that the day before on Friday uh, that my uncle Bob, uh, my favorite uncle, my uncle Bob had passed away in a car accident that he was in, that two of my cousins, they're in their 70s, older cousins, were critically injured in that accident, and so was the 22-year-old driver that crossed the median and hit them head-on. You, you know, he was 92. And so in one way, you think, well, man, what a good long life, right? I mean, thank God for 92 years. But in another part, of you think, are you kidding me? You you survived World War II. Uh, you've experienced so many things. And just in the last month, within the last month, he just buried his wife, my Aunt Peg. They were married 70 years so when I talked to him about my Aunt Peg's passing and said, I'm so sorry, Uncle Bob, um, he, he told me of how he was looking forward to come to Florida. Uh, that Aunt Peg was one of those crazy people from upstate New York who didn't think Florida was the place to be. It was too hot. And so he said, now I'm able to come down more. I'm looking forward to coming down and spending time with you. Well, one great hope I have is that my Uncle Bob, he knew the truth. I'm comforted knowing that Uncle Bob knew that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in him, even though he perish, yet shall he live. When I talked to my cousin Bobby, who is named after him, he told me that just last week he and his dad listened to my Easter message. I am the resurrection and life. And the comforting to know that he knew that reality but I know where my uncle is. Jesus has said that he went to prepare a place for my uncle Bob, for, for us, for those of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that one day we will go to that place or he will come to us. And when Jesus told us that comforting words, he was really telling it to his disciples. He was telling his disciples in a discussion that says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life that there's no other way to the Father except through me. And he said this to them to say, be comforted. Be comforted, guys, that I am that way. Let's look at the context of the words that Jesus would say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. It happened in what is known as the upper room discourse. In the Gospel of John, very interesting, the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John tell of Jesus' life, and existence up into his last week. Starting in chapter 13 through the end of the chapter in 29, that entire passage is really the last week of his life. The last week of Jesus' life is so seismically important. His life, his death, his resurrection, that John is going to spend that entire time focusing on it. As a matter of fact, in verses 13 to 18 is called the upper room discourse. It's where Jesus was with his disciples on that night he was betrayed and he was unpacking for them all that was going on. Remember what happened there? Remember he washed their feet? Remember that he being their Lord, their God and their Savior washed their feet? Remember the commandment he gave to them to love one another as he has loved them? And then he starts telling them things like this. I'm not going to be with you much longer. And where I'm going, you can't follow right now. And you got his disciples like Peter bow up saying, man, I'm gonna go with you anywhere, Jesus. And if everybody else denies denies you, I'm gonna be with you. And up in that upper discourse, Jesus will look at beloved Peter and say, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times. So in the midst of his talking about, you know, there's one of you who's gonna betray me. In the midst of the talk about he is going to go and he's going to die and all this confusion, Jesus says to them, listen, I don't want you to be troubled. Don't be troubled. Be comforted. Trust in God. Trust in me. And where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for our loved ones who are gone. Uncle Bob, I'm going to go. And one day where I am, you're going to be. They say, well, where are you going? He says in that context, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. It was in that upper room discourse, in that, in that emotionally charged room, in that room filled with joy and confusion, with their feet still wet from having been cleansed and washed by Jesus. It was there. But if we pull back from John and see the bigger context of when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, for, for the Jewish folks, for the Israelites, they would say that the that, that Torah, that God's word, it's it's the way. They would say that the Torah, God's word, it's the truth. And they would say that Torah is is life. And now Jesus, like only Jesus can, has the audacity to say that he personally is the way. He personally is the truth that he is the embodiment of life itself. And thus we get to that upper room. Why don't we join them in the upper room and hear the word of the Lord in John 14. I'm gonna read verses one through 11. And again, remember that Jesus has just said is where I'm going, you can't immediately follow. Peter has given his life allegiance to Jesus and Jesus has said, no, 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 you're about ready to deny me. And it's in the midst of that context where you hear these words. Hear the word of the Lord. John chapter 14, verse one. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, and I picture him rubbing his temples, taking a deep breath, and saying, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe That I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of these works themselves. Let us pray. Jesus, I love that you spoke into the confusion of that upper room to bring clarity that you and you alone are the way, that you and you alone are truth, and that you and you alone are life. And God, thank you for telling us of the humanity of your disciples that even with clear teaching like this, there was confusion in their day just like ours. What does this really mean? So God, I pray for your glory and the beauty of your church here at Orangewood, that you would come and that you would make clear these words of Jesus to each one of us, that God, you would graciously give each of us ears to hear your voice, Jesus, minds to understand what does it mean that you are the way, the truth, the life, that God, that you would give us hearts to believe, hearts to embrace this reality. That God, that you would be with your people in such a powerful way that you would give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. God, I don't need to add to any of the confusion. So the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, that are are the living words of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And the first thing we see in this incredible passage is that Jesus says, I am, I am the way. That, that Jesus is the way. What is he saying? When I grew up, the way to heaven and earth, the way to the place that I really did consider heaven and earth, there were three different ways to get there. We lived in a little town called New Hartford. My folks' family cottage was on Owasco Lake in the Finger Lake area. It was about a two-hour drive for us to make our way to heaven and earth. It was a beautiful drive, but we could go three ways. We could go the fastest route. New York State Thruway, fast, boring, not a lot to see. Uh, Back in the old days, we would have a ticket. Remember the days of tickets that you would get and then turn in and how much you owed? You could take the fast way. You could take the shortest way. The shortest way was not getting up to the Thruway. It was actually going right down Route 5, But as you went down Route 5, you went through every little town along that way, in the shortest way, making your way uh, to the Finger Lake area. Or you could take the scenic route, Route 20. Oh, my goodness. Go on Route 20 sometimes between the Finger Lakes heading toward, like, Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame. Absolutely beautiful. As you make your way through the apple orchards, as you make your way up and down these huge hills, Uh, it was a joy. When we went on that route, it was like, all right, we get on a big hill, put it in neutral, and let's see how fast we could go zooming down the hill and to see how far we could go before putting it in gear back up the next hill. There were three ways to heaven on earth when I went to my folks' cottage. But according to God's word, there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to make it home to the Father. There's only one way, home. And Jesus would say, I'm it. I am the way." What does he mean? What does he mean when he's the way? I got—I got to tell you, even this week, reading the commentary notes, uh, reading a book of a of a pastor who has preached on this and what he says of the way, he says basically this: he says that Jesus is the moral way. Let me hit pause. I can't even tell you this without telling you. I almost threw the book away. I, mean, I was angry. I, I was. I was. I was like, wanted to throw the book away or set it on fire because I say, you know, he's basically saying, well, Jesus is the moral way that, that the way to the father is a moral teaching as Jesus loved his enemies. So should you love your enemies? And that's true. And as Jesus cared for the poor, so should you care for the poor? And that's true. And as Jesus lived a moral life, so should you live a moral life? And that's true, but that's just not enough. Jesus didn't come saying, I am the way to show us a moral example of how to live so that one day we will have a moral enough life to rise to the Father and be blessed. No one can do that. He's not just a moral example. He's so much more. Well, some will say, well, he's the path. Jesus is a path. He came as a trailblazer, and and on that path, when we walk with him, that we will meander our way, and we will find our way to heaven. Well, that is true. But that's not enough either. Many of you are probably familiar with this this famous poem called Footprints in the Stand. Let me read it to you. One night, a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord, Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. From each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other belonging to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the front punch in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. This really bothered him. And he questioned the Lord about it. Lord... You said that once I decided to follow you, you will walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you the most, you would leave me. You guys know where I'm going, right? You've heard this before, almost done. The Lord replied, precious, precious child, I love you. I will never leave you. During your trials, times of trials and suffering, When you only see one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. (laughs) Good catch, Dave. It's a nice poem. I don't mean to make fun of the poem. I think it gets the wrong picture. I think it gets a picture of us having a companion named Jesus. Jesus. A companion that's there when we need him, and when he's not, we're okay on our own. A companion like Jesus that when things get bad, he'll really help, and when he don't, well, he might not even need to be around. See, I I think it gives us a picture of Jesus being the way in the ways that aren't what he's talking about. It reminds me of a picture that I think that many of us think about when we think of Jesus. It's the Fabio Jesus! That's the airbrush, Jesus. It's the Jesus who's the way who, who has, and look at that little lamb. Is that not the cutest little lamb you've ever seen? Look at that thing. It's, it's, it's white. It's fluffy. It smells good. It looks good. It fits really nice under the arm. I mean, I mean, come on. We all kind of want that picture. And sometimes we got Jesus and he's carrying us over his shoulders. And, but let me tell you that that's not the reality. When Jesus says, I'm the way, he says this, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And lost sheep don't look like that. They're flea bitten. They're probably excrement stained. I mean, they're diseased. And Jesus came to carry them home. Not just when times were rough. Not when times were difficult. He came to be the embodiment of the way. He says, I am the way in the flesh. And the only way you're ever going to make it home is if that you're in me. And the reality of me, not just walking alongside you, not just carrying you when times get tough. I picture the firemen's carry. Everybody know the firemen's carry? I mean, you know that reality when, when a fireman comes and somebody needs to be resuscitated, that, that it's so bad that they, they've lost the ability to breathe on their own. It's so bad you could say that they've been dead the scripture says we're dead in our trespasses and sins, that, that Jesus doesn't coddle a little white lamb, that he scoops up a dead corpse. He scoops up a dead corpse who's got no ability to go anywhere on his own. It's not like I'll go this way, you go that way. He's the one who carries us. You see, here's the reality, and here's what, here's what the Bible says and no matter how much we want to make this soft and no matter how much we want to make this more politically correct, Jesus says, I'm the only one who came from the Father. And I'm the only one. And I've come for you. And it's, it's like it's like being on a mountain. You sit on the mountain, at the base of a mountain, you look up and say, okay, well, how many ways up the mountain are there? How many ways are to the Father? We, well, we can go the way of Buddhism or we can go the way of this or we can go the, the way of morality and moralism or we can go the way of, of this religion or that religion. And they all lead to the top of the mountain. But I just need you to know that that that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that there's one who came from heaven. There's one who came from the Father. And he came for the lost. And he alone came. And and not to have many different paths, but to be the only, the embodiment of the way. And the only ones who are going to make it home are the only ones by God's grace through faith are connected to him. That are like a dead man being carried home every step of the way. It's not that we make our own path. It's not that we find our own way. It's that Jesus is the way. Now, let me just hit pause and say, I know that's really politically incorrect. And I probably have offended some of you. And I, I, I don't mean to. If you know me, you know that I love people's praise and I want everybody to love me. But the reality is God's called me to stand here and open up God's word and tell you this, this Jesus, he claims to be the way. And there's no other way to the Father except through him. Jesus and Jesus alone. The world hates this. But that's the reality of what God's word tells us. Because Jesus is the truth. The second thing. In the Gospel of John, in the mock trial of Jesus, Jesus stands before Pilate, the the Roman governor of that area, and he is going to be condemned and crucified by Pilate. And there's an exchange that's recorded for us in the Gospel of John. And and, and he, he basically, it's a more of a monologue than a dialogue. But he's trying to figure out who this Jesus is. He's terrified of him. And he can't find anything wrong with him. And yet he's still going to condemn him to be crucified. And they talk about truth. And Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? That's a great question for us today. Because we live in a time that would say truth is subjective. What do you think about truth? What is right for you? What do I think about truth? Situationally, it might be this and situationally it might be that. I mean, we live in a time where what is truth, right? I mean, and, and is it this or that? Is Does anybody know? In the midst of the confusion of what is true, Jesus is going to say, I am truth. I am truth. And can we want to say, what in the world is he saying? Because this is this is inflammatory. I mean, this is, hes basically saying that not only is it objective, not only is it clear, but truth is personified in Christ Jesus. That He personally is the source of truth. I want to give you three things to think about when He says, "I am the truth." Here's what He's saying. First of it's this way: the Bible has a ton of promises and a, and a system of, of, of religion that all point to him. Let me say it a little bit more clearly. Everything that the Bible promises finds its substance, its reality in Jesus. That everything the Bible points to finds the true one. Jesus is the truth. He's the reality of everything that was promised and pointed to. Let me, let me give you this illustration. If you took a really f- a good flashlight and you were able to shine it into the Bible, starting with the Old Testament, And all the things in the Old Testament would cast a shadow. And it would cast a shadow and all the shadow would find its substance in Christ Jesus. When they had a Passover lamb to celebrate the Exodus in the Old Testament, it pointed to Jesus because He's the true Passover lamb. He's the Lamb of God that will be, that will be slain so that we could really be forgiven. When they talked about the Exodus, he is the ultimate one who who takes us from slavery and, and leads us to the promised land. That was just a shadow. He's the substance. He's the truth. He's the reality. When it promised a king that would come, he's the king that was promised. He's the prophet that was promised. He's the priest that was promised. Everything that God says that if you do this, he will do that, he fulfilled it all. So when Jesus says, I am the truth, he's saying, I am the substance. I am the reality. Behind everything that the Bible points to, it all points to me. It's all fulfilled in me. I mean, it's incredible the way he says that, that he personifies truth. Let me tell you, the Colossians 2.17 says it this way. These are shadows of things to come. All the things in the Bible are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10, we'll talk about the shadow of things, but he is the substance. When he says that he is the truth. He's saying, I'm the genuine article. If you want to understand God, if you want to understand the Bible, if you want to understand the promises, if you want to stand that sacrificial system and all those things, I'm the true one. When you plug me in, everything else will make sense and have light of those things. They were all shadows. They all pointed to him. Well, not only is he the truth, like he's the real real McCoy, He's not just the truth, but the way of truth is grace and truth. We can't miss this. He's not only truth, he's also grace. I want to show you John 1. John 1, very famous, that's going to tell us who this Jesus is. I'm going to pick up in verse 14. John 1.14 says this, In the word, this eternal God became flesh, that God put on flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus. And we've seen his glory. The glory is the only Son from the Father, but he's full of grace and truth. In verse 15, he's going to tell John bore witness about that. Let's pick it up in 16. For from his fullness, we have all received Grace upon grace. This is really interesting. Listen to verse 14. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is basically saying that for us to really understand truth, to understand God, you need two things. You need truth and you need God's grace. You see, when God gave us the law through Moses, it led to death. No one was set free, no one was healed. They just realized we're all sinners. But with Jesus, we not only had this law, but we also had grace. It's basically saying is that everything that God required of us in the law, God graciously gives us Jesus who fulfills it all. He gives us the grace the grace to do what we failed to do, the grace to live a life that we miserably messed up so that all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He gives us the grace to absorb God's wrath on the cross so that we only know God's love. He gives us the grace to understand that the law has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Grace and truth. You see, the law without grace is legalism. The law, if you do this, don't do that. And take a Bible and bang it over people's head. It's legalism. It doesn't work. But grace, God's unmerited favor without law, it's licentiousness. It's just like, go do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. It does matter. God's a holy God. He cares about the way we live. But in Christ Jesus, because he is the truth, filled with grace, the law and all that God requires of us, Jesus is accomplished for us. It's all by grace and truth. And listen, if you know this truth, if you know that Jesus is true, ready for this? It's all by grace. All to him you owe. Not one of us here should be arrogant about knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Not one of us, because not one of us deserves it. And not one of us is smart enough on our own unless God gives us the grace to see this reality. We don't see it. And so who should we be? We should be the ones that are most in love with Jesus, most filled with God's grace to others. The way we treat our neighbors, the way we treat the world. Yeah, by God's grace, we know that he's the way, the truth, and the life. This doesn't give us a platform to be jerks. This gives us a platform to be filled with amazing grace, loving our neighbor and saying, by God's grace, I see the truth of what he has done for us. And lastly, he's the truth. He's the substance of what was to come. Uh, Not only that, it's grace and truth. But Jesus is the truth. If he is the truth, he is the filter through which we make sense of our lives. Let me give you a, a practical example. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're in a situation where you feel like, Where in the world is God? He's left a building. He's forsaken me. There's no way my kids would act like this if Jesus was with me. There's no way my marriage would be like this if Jesus was with me. There's no way my job would be like this. There's no way I'd be living like this. So therefore, Jesus is not right. And God has called us to say the filter we should see all of life through is he is true. He is the way. He is the truth. No matter what your circumstances will tell you about who your God is, will you walk by faith and say, God, you said... That all things will work for the good, for those who love you and have been called according to your purpose. I don't know how you make good out of this. I don't know how you shine light into this. But God, you are true, and I believe. You are the way, and I'll walk ye in it. That's what he means when you are the truth. Let him define your circumstances, not your circumstances define him. And lastly, Jesus is the life. Jesus is life. What does he mean by he is the life? Does he mean that Jesus is the supplement to life? Uh, my good friend, Alan Williams, uh, our executive director at Orangewood, he's got this little powdery substance and when he gets tired, he mixes it in a bottle of a water and he drinks it down and he, he gives a little bit more energy. I'm like, man, give me some of that stuff, man. That's What is that stuff? And I'm not sure if they're going to test us and we're going to get busted for steroids around here or something like that. I don't know. But, you know, we all desire a little supplement in life, don't we? A little something to keep us awake, a little something to take the edge off, a little something to get us through life. Is Jesus a supplement of life that keeps us awake or takes the edge off or or just kind of accompaniment? Or is Jesus a flavor of life? I mean, just a flavor that we seem to enjoy? Or is what God's word says, Jesus is life. Without him is death. That only in him do we find life and life abundantly. Only in him do we find life and life eternally. And here's the craziness of the gospel story. Jesus, who is life, dies so that we who are dead in sins may live. And without him, we can never live. He says he gives us new life. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And this is what Paul means when he writes to the church uh, of Colossae in Colossians 3. Listen to this, Colossians 3. I'm going to pick up in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, and in the mystery of the gospel, he sees you already, if you're in Christ Jesus, having been raised with Christ. If that's the reality, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds in the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For listen to this. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's a death that must happen, dying to yourself, embracing Christ as your Lord and Savior. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. My life, your life, Christian, is hidden with Christ Jesus. The life we now live, we're to live in him. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus told, him, told us himself in Matthew 16. You've got to die to yourself to live for Christ. And then John, the Gospel of John writer will tell us in the epistle of John, John 512, this, whoever has the Son, if you have the Son by God's grace, if your hope and trust is Him, whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. What kind of life does Jesus give us? Well, Jesus is life eternal, Jesus is life abundant. Jesus' life is a life of sorrow. It's a life of pain. It's a life of hearing that your uncle, your uncle of 92 years was killed in a car crash. It's a, it's a life of cancer at times, of brokenness. I mean, it's, it's a life that's a real life, but it's, it's abundant and eternal in Christ Jesus, who is our life. It's life now. It's life tomorrow. It's life eternally. As I spoke with my cousin, Bobby, about his dad, we exchanged some stories. Make dad, Bobby, I mean, Bobby, I love your dad. Oh, what a great uncle he was. I know what a great dad he was to you. And it was kind of weird because I talked to my, my cousin, um, Bobby. I haven't seen him in a long time. I was talking to a 60-year-old man that's been lost in a 20-year-old. And my memory of him is at 20. I can still picture him looking like James Taylor in the early days. It was really cool dog, Moses, the coolest dog that walked the planet at the time. And we talked about his dad. And he said, you know, I I believe in God. He says, you know, I I believe that my dad's in heaven. I just don't know what it's like. I said, well, Bobby, I don't either. Never been there. But I know one who is there. I know that there's one who came from heaven to earth. And he came for us. And he came to die so that we could live. I don't know what it's going to be like. But I know that. He says, absent with the body is present with the Lord. And he says to a thief on the cross that today you'll be with me in paradise. And I know there's more to come because there's gonna be a resurrected another body in a new heavens and a new earth. But Bobby, what I know to be true is that your dad's home. And what I know to be true is that your dad's safe. Because I know that to be true, that Jesus is, he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And your dad, he knew that. And he's home. And what joy is ours? What comfort is that reality for us? And I look at your faces and I, I know your stories and I know that that's a comfort and joy to you. But let me ask you this. If today were the day, the, the, the horrible day that you would have to stand before God, who would you say Jesus is? That's where we are. I mean, if today were the day where you had to answer that question what Would you say I mean by God's grace we say he you Jesus you are the way that you are the truth that in you is the life you're the resurrection and life you are the good shepherd you are the bread of life before Abraham was you were and my hope is in you and in nothing less and because of you I can have life and life abundantly If you had to stand before him today what would you would you say. Well, you're one of two things. You're either going to stand before God today, and I hope that we don't. Or you're going to stand for God today. What does it look like for you to stand for God today? To stand for God, say, you know what? The world doesn't like it. It's politically not savvy, but He is the way. There's not many different options. He's it. He's come and He's scooped up this dead corpse, and He's given me life that he is the truth, no matter what my circumstances say or no matter what happens, that I'm going to believe in a God who is and a God who loves and a God who's making all things new. It's hard. It's hard singing these songs this morning. It's hard. I I picture the car crash. I I picture what what happened to his body. I mean, I was told, a 92-year-old man, man, they revived him four times about how broken he was, but to believe and trust that Jesus is going to make that new too. What does it look like for us to stand before God and and, and believe and stand for God and live for him? That he is our life. And in him is life and life abundantly. Oh, my brothers and sisters, may we believe this reality. May we live this reality, both now until the day we see him face to face. Let us pray. Jesus, thanks for telling your your disciples, it was comforting to them to know that when they were confused and they were hearing about death and betrayal and they didn't understand, you just would say, listen guys, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And there's no other way to the Father except through you. And Jesus, we thank you for your grace that allows us to see this truth. If anyone here is able to say that reality, it's all by your grace. And if anybody's making it home, it's because you came to scoop up dead corpses and carry us home and give us life and life eternally and abundantly. I thank you that you do walk beside us. I thank you that you do carry us, but I thank you that you're more than just footprints in the sand. I thank you that you're more than just a counselor. I thank you that you're more than just a, a friend. We need those things. But Jesus, you're it. You're it. You're the only begotten son. You're the one who's come from the father. And you're the only one that's going to get us home. And God, I pray for the ones who yet to believe that today would be the day. That even if their faith was as small as a mustard seed. That you give them the faith to believe that Jesus is that way. The truth and the life. By confessing their sins and placing their faith and trust in you. That they could... Know this life and life abundantly, and life eternally. And God, for all of us, will one day will stand before you. What will we say? But until that day we stand for you, and may we live our lives in a way that's the aroma of Christ, filled with grace, filled with truth, filled with mercy, that a broken world would see us standing in Christ Jesus and fall in love with Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.